0: Hey, this is LGBTQ and A. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is a show where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. Today I'm talking to Matt Baum. Matt is a writer, a video maker, and a host of the podcast, The Sewers of Paris. Stay tuned. Hey, Matt. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk. Yay. Yeah, before we get to it, though, we just want to say that if you're watching and like what you see, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a comment. Leaving a comment also really, really helps on iTunes. It helps more people find us. So thank you ahead of time. Matt. Hi. Hey, we have a lot to talk about. I want to talk about your work, but I just want to start off by saying I'm very thankful that you've been writing and have been so vocal about Chechnya. Yeah. And what's going on there. Gosh, it's
1: a hard one to talk about because it's just so horrible and like it's, it's you know you just you, there's only so much of it you can take and you have to do a little self care and be like alright I need to back away from this and like look at puppies or something for a while but yeah it's a really dire situation it's really underreported too you know what's funny is that perception because New York Times has done pieces, multiple the New York or the Washington Post has done pieces. Like there has been coverage, but I think where it's not getting a lot of um, attention is social media. So within the gay bubble, uh, I definitely see the gays talking about it, but uh, a lot of straight people are like, "Oh, where's what is Chechnya?"
0: Yeah, I mean, I had to look it up to be honest. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, so did I. You know, I've heard of it. I know that there was a war there, and I'm like, what are, I know that caucuses are something, but I need to educate myself on this.
0: Yeah. And and for people like watching, it is a part of Russia, it Mm -hmm. is, they have their own republic, it's a federal subject. And so I wish that I knew which laws applied and whatnot and if it's up to Russia to solve it or not. It is a super
1: complicated situation. Yeah. yeah. So it is up to Russia. Um, oh, they're yeah. under Russian control. And so the, the head of state in Chechnya is uh, uh, subordinate to Russian figures, uh, Russian authorities. So uh, yeah, it's, it's up to it's up to Russia to do something.
0: That does not bode well for their track record. No,
1: no, it doesn't. Um, it,
0: I, in, sorry, just to cut you off. I just want to make sure people know what is going yeah.
1: on. Let's talk about the just the, the basics.
0: The, the, the facts that we have are are that uh, they're rounding up gay and bisexual men in Chechnya mm. and taking them to concentration-style camps and torturing them. And yeah. um, a n- number have died, although they're also letting a number go horribly beaten up.
1: Yeah, so it's it, the details from the ground are it's hard to get specifics because there's not a lot of information, and what information is, is available is tightly restricted, and there's a real risk to people on the ground. So what we do know is that a lot of people have been rounded up, uh, that authorities are targeting what they perceive, what we would call queer men, uh, men who have sex with men or men who are, you know, uh, I don't know, they use it, you know, homosexual. Um, The camps that they're, they're, the facilities that they're being kept in, uh, the Experts that I've spoken to have been careful not to use the term concentration camp, um, because a concentration camp is a specific thing for a specific cohort of people, and uh, what's actually going on here is a continuation of something that's happened to a lot of different groups. Um, the, there's an autocratic regime there that has targeted—they've um, had you know, extrajudicial um, uh, incarceration for people convicted or just suspected of minor crimes, um, certain Muslim groups. Uh, um, fortune tellers were targeted at one point Uh, so there are a lot of people if you just happen to be unpopular a member of an unpopular group uh, you can get just disappeared Uh, So I wouldn't call them concentration camps exactly. Illegal prison facilities, but that's not as gettable a name. And I understand why concentration camps is the term that people want to go to.
0: Yeah. I think that the weirdest part of why I had a hard time grasping what was going on was that it just feels like it's a story from the Middle Ages.
1: Yeah. It feels like something out of time. Like, I mean, and I would say much closer than the Middle Ages, Uh, you know, but... I'm Jewish, I know. Yes, So, but yeah, and and that this is happening and that these, you know, people are are being tortured and... um, we have evidence that you know that the authorities are going through, for example, their phones and like looking up information and trying to extract more names so they can round up more people and then tragically when they when people are released, if people are released uh their families are informed what has happened and there's a culture there of uh, of honor killings what you you know put in quotes honor killings because i mean there's nothing honorable about what they're doing um but so there's an expectation among certain groups that uh you will kill your family member uh to spare the the indignity of, of being related to a homosexual person um so what needs to happen is uh not just an investigation into what's going on and who's allowing this to happen but also how security can be provided to the victims and suspected, or people who are just at
0: risk. Yeah, and it's just like the privileged American in me is like, honor killings still happen?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I you mean, know? It's, it's so easy to think, well, we have got marriage equality, everything's yeah. great, and there is so much more work to be done. And also, I want to say, just not just in Chechnya, because, you know, you see in many African countries, in Bangladesh, there's a lot of problems for LGBT community, so you know, the fact that this is happening in Chechnya is, it's it's not isolated, unfortunately.
0: I know. It, it's It's just, it's really easy to to feel completely helpless from yes. our end. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Is um, it, like, the State Department hasn't, I don't think they've made a statement yet, have they?
1: So the State Department did make a statement that was very tepid and uh, w- did not go nearly far enough. Right. Um, so I wrote about this for Vice Magazine, and uh, I have a, a weekly video that I do on YouTube called Weekly Debrief, where I talk about what's happening with LGBT issues in the world. And uh, so fortunately, we are not powerless. It's very easy to feel that way. Um, we
0: as people as, we as America country?
1: Yeah. Well, as, as both, as, okay. as, as just human beings. So there's a temptation. I've seen a lot of comments um, on my videos. Um, not a lot, but I've seen enough that it's troubling to me that people have said, why do we care? This isn't our problem. Um, and it's like, good gracious uh, i mean it, it, because it is it is good for your soul as a human being and that to, thinking we would still have like
0: slavery in america right yeah like <laughs> that's so
1: horrible yeah so fortunately so the state department uh what they've done is they put out a statement early in in what was going on uh, not early enough but um relatively early saying uh, we condemn this basically it was just oh that's a shame uh, okay great well what are we going to do uh the secretary of state was meeting with uh vladimir putin that week rex tillerson was meeting with vladimir putin that this week there's no indication they talked about this at all. Uh, Nikki Haley, who's the um, UN ambassador, the uh, US American ambassador to the United Nations, said, uh, you know, we condemn this. Again, OK, great. What are you doing about it? I mean, there are specific steps that they could be taking that they're not.
0: Yeah. And you said that we as people are not helpless. What can we That's be right. doing? So um,
1: it's very difficult because um, y- there's a very specific skill set that is needed to actually intervene and help these people. But what we can do is one, Donate money, which not everyone can do, but if you're in a position to donate money, that's great. Amnesty International, you can never go wrong with Amnesty International. Uh, There's also a group called uh, the LGBT Network, the Russian LGBT Network, that's doing a lot of the practical on-the-ground evacuation of people and providing safe places for people. Uh, And then also, if you aren't in a position to donate money, you can sign Amnesty's petition. And then also just spreading the gosh darn word, and making sure people know about this and telling people, have you heard about what's going and by the way, it's still going on because there's this flurry of activity and the people are like well, uh, alright, what's the next thing? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and it's still going on not just in Chechnya, but you know, there's significant problems in Uganda, there's significant problems in Bangladesh, there's significant problems everywhere. So uh, you know, just for your own well-being as a person, stay informed and know what's going on and tell people.
0: Absolutely, that's great, thank you. Yeah. And uh, I was reading too, it's such a massive problem that people are afraid to come out because they think, like, are you really going to help me or not? Yeah. And so they're just staying. Right. Well, that's the thing, is it's very hard to trust when literally it's life
1: and death. So when the LGBT network, I spoke to one of the representatives, said, you know, we reach out to people and we try to connect with people. Also, they have to be very careful about that because there's the possibility that they might not be who they say they are. Yeah. Um, Or they're reaching out to the wrong person or whatever. So when they reach out, they're like, we can help you. There's a suspicion, like can you or are you or am i going to disappear too yeah. but you know, if, if they don't take... If the victims don't take that helping hand, there's no one else who's going to help them.
0: Yeah. It really chilled me. One of the quotes from one of the spokespersons, they said that you can't detain and repress people who simply don't exist.
1: Yeah, my gosh, that erasure... Is
0: that th- not chilling?
1: That that was a Chechen official, a, a spokesperson for the head of state, who said, you know, essentially saying that queer people don't exist in Chechnya. Which, I mean, there are just echoes of that in the trans erasure that we're seeing in this country. Yeah. A denial that a group of people can exist... Um, You know, it's not isolated to that part of the world, but seldom do we hear it stated so starkly.
0: Yeah. Um, You you mentioned trans people. If I'm being completely honest, I, I think that it's great we're talking about Chechnya. I think we need to be talking about Chechnya, and there should be an outrage. But a part of me, to be completely honest, wants to scream that there are trans people and gender non-conforming people in our own country who are massively marginalized and going through horrible times. And, like, let's help the people in our own country as well. Mm. I want to see a similar outrage, to be completely honest. Well, you know, the good thing is you can do both. You can be outraged about what's happening internationally. You can
1: be outraged about what's happening here. And you can also celebrate their victories because there's a lot of good stuff happening. Taiwan is making a lot of progress towards marriage equality, which is an incredible achievement. Uh, So, you know, let's not get down in the weeds of, all the bad things that are happening. Because <laughs> there is some good stuff as well.
0: Absolutely. Uh, speaking of good stuff, I'm going to talk about your podcast. Yes, please. It's The Sewers of Paris. Yeah. It's about... Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> I thought I was... I'm laughing. I'm telling you what it's about. But for the people who don't know, it's about the law, The entertainment books, TV, movies have changed the lives of gay men. Yeah. That's the public definition. Do sure. you have a more private or personal definition? Oh, goodness. Well, so,
1: you know, the sort of the MacGuffin, which is like the excuse for the, for the thing to exist, is, uh, you know, those stories about, like, the books and TV and music and stuff. So every episode, I have a different gay man on, and I ask, what's the entertainment that changed your life? And so we talk about Oscar Wilde or Madonna, uh, or sometimes it's something more esoteric. Like, I just had someone on to talk about, like, Charles Ludlam, who is this, sadly, more obscure than he should be performer from New York. Uh, and then sometimes we'll talk about, like, Jingle All the Way. I, I just had a Who wanted to talk about, yeah, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from like ninety About, and he was like, Oh, this helped me connect with my father because I saw a dad who would do anything that he could for his son, and this helped me realize the value of fathers. And like, how lovely. So, anyway, so I get these different gay men on to talk about the gay male experience, and how uh, Guy Branham, who's this great comedian based here in LA, once said of The Sewers of Paris, the show, uh, there are a lot of things that we don't talk about as gay men, uh, and it, particularly before we're ready to talk about it, before we're ready to put it into words, and so the entertainment helps us articulate things before we know how to say things. You know, you might be, you, you might not be ready to talk about camp, but you can talk about "Mommy Dearest" and like for some reason we both like "Mommy Dearest," and let's talk about, let's connect on that level.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's really uh, yeah. that's a cool way of thinking about it too. After a hundred plus episodes, yeah. of it, what what are the recurring themes? Do you see?
1: Oh gosh, you know what's funny is. Um, the show started, uh, literally the idea for the show germinated at this gay bar in Seattle called The Eagle. Every city has an eagle. Uh, and so I was talking to this guy, uh, named Giannis, uh, about how, um, he had never heard of Endora from Bewitched, and, uh, but he was very familiar with Christopher Isherwood. And we were talking about, uh, Christopher Isherwood, there was this, uh, author, he wrote, um, I Am a Camera, which became the, the show Cabaret. And Single Man. Uh, yes. And, uh, so you know, we were talking about how we had all these different cultural influences, um, but there was a connection there between, uh, basically, about humor, uh, about Endora Bewitched and Christopher Isherwood's, like, when he could be funny and Rye, he's very funny, um, and we're like, oh, there's something that we understand about each other that is that is pre-verbal going on here, um, and so one of them is just what what gay men find funny, it, it, you know, is one of the interesting things to me, and that we have this sort of sixth sense for things that are campy and essentially you know who articulated this really well was my guest richard day who wrote on um arrested development among many other shows and he said that there's basically what queer people have is this sort of special power of being able to pull back the curtain or yank the tablecloth off the table whatever you want to call it and expose like mainstream society and be like you people are ridiculous and the emperor is not wearing any clothes and it's real goofy Uh, So that sense of humor, I think, is something that that binds
0: us together uh, very effectively. It's so interesting, like, the things... I'm always fascinated by the things that we are drawn to Mm -hmm. as... LGBTQ people before we even come out of the closet, before yeah. we know that Barbara Streisand was an icon, you still yep. liked Barbara Streisand.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I just had a guest on who talked about um, Sylvester, the singer Sylvester, uh, who, you know, not enough people know about this guy, but he was a wonderful singer in the 1970s, uh, in San Francisco, I think. Um, and, you know, my, my guest, his name is Gordon, uh, was listening to this song, You Are My Friend. Uh, And he was like, there's just something spoke to him about it, about the camaraderie and friendship and fraternity. And uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like I said, before we have the words for it. I mean, Golden Girls is a perfect example. Like, why do we all love the Golden Girls? And I'm not going to say we all love because... It, another thing that comes up a lot is people will apologize for not liking something they're supposed to. Like, the. you know, it's fine. If you don't like The Golden Girls, if you don't like Mommy Dearest, if you don't like musicals, there's no such thing as the gay card that's going to be revoked. Yeah. There's all different kinds of queer people.
0: That's what queer is. Yeah. I think, too, the fact that we were not always represented in the media, mm. because we, it was illegal, we yeah. had to be more coded, and that forced us to be more creative. Yes. But also, since we grew up in that, we were taught empathy because we were connecting with characters that did not look like us. Yeah. That don't behave like this and yet you're still able to relate to them exactly and that's not, not something that everybody had to do too. Right, that's
1: true, and you know, and it's why when I see uh, queer people who maybe are a bit lacking in empathy, uh, I feel so sad for them because like you've been given this gift of queerness and you're you're squandering it by not being a beautiful human being. Um, but yeah, you know, occasionally we'll have a character like, for example, Jody on soap uh, came up early in in me doing the podcast. He was his character in the 1970s, played by Billy Crystal, and he was like, an, you know, one of the first yeah. openly queer characters on television, and he was so important to people. But then you'd also have things that were a lot more subtle like I just interviewed uh, Bruce Valanche and he talked about putting um, Greg Brady in drag on one of he wrote for one of the Brady Bunch uh, variety shows and they put Greg Brady in drag no it wasn't it wasn't Greg it was the the dad uh, Robert um Oh, well, anyway, the dad on the Brady Bunch. Uh, the, and, you know, it was one of those things where, like, it's another one of those coded things that queer people will see it and be like, hi, uh-huh, did I see what art form this is? And straight people will just be like, ho, ho, it's a man wearing a dress, and then yeah. move on. And I asked him, was it frustrating that you had to code so much queer content, like you couldn't be just come out and say it? And he said, no, it wasn't frustrating, because we didn't know. Like, we could never have said... You know, we could never have said that, that that this actor was gay. We could never have talked about gay stuff on the show. Yeah. So we didn't know that there was anything to be frustrated about.
0: Oh, wow. It's also these restrictions that, like, again, they force us to be creative, and that's fun. That's um, uh, not a queer thing, but it, the, my first thought was on... Uh Shonda, the, the Grey's Anatomy, mm-hmm. they came up with the word vajayjay mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they couldn't say, you know, vagina or anything. And like, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's iconic for that show. Well, you know, I think the the greatest queer equivalent to that is uh,
1: Polari. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. Okay, so Polari is this sort of slang, British slang, that came out of... Um, uh, the theater world and uh, from the gypsy community uh, of, uh, there's a very few words that survive to this day, but zhuzh is one of them. Yes. So there are these coded things uh, like um, bona means good. So, you know, bona de, so to see someone is to eek. So bona de eek, your dolly old, uh, and I can't remember the name of what the word for face was, but uh, you know, there's all these different words that are just like baffling. If you hear someone talk in this, in this cant. Uh, yeah. but Wait, what it, is it's Polari. So Polari is the name of the language. Oh, it's the name. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Is Wait, is a queer word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're oh. like jujing the hair or jujing the set or something like I that. I
0: just explained that to a friend this weekend and they're very intelligent. And I was like, is this a made up word? <laughs> I didn't realize it had like queer backgrounds.
1: Yeah, a lot of it is derived from Italian. A lot of it is derived from uh, Romani. And like it just kind of... It was a thing to avoid detection and also to communicate with each other. Uh, And then it sort of faded away over the 20th century. And if you look – I can't remember the name of it, but there's a short film that uses – if you just Google Polari, uh, you'll find the short film where you see two men talking to each other. And it feels like um, a foreign language educational film where you're like, okay, I'm going to listen to this conversation. I have to write down what they're saying and interpret because there's so many – There's so many different terms, and it just, I mean, it sounds like a cross between Italian and all these different other things.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite things about Paris is Burning is is just the language. Yes. And I love that you can follow what they're saying along, but also it's um, unbelievable how much of that is just common vernacular now. Yes. It always will blow my mind.
1: Yes. You know, I was just this weekend at DragCon, and, you know, again, there, like, I'm walking by these booths, and I hear someone say something like, oh, you're looking snatched. And I'm like, oh, this is a language, it's like, it's like Polari. Yeah. Uh, It's not quite exactly, but, you know, these, you know, when you talk about fishy realness or something, you know, there's a, there's a history to those terms that binds us. Yeah.
0: Haven't we always, though, created language to, like, to, for our own experience? As queer people. Yeah. I also have to wonder if that's because we don't see, we did not see ourselves in the media, so there was not somebody saying these are the five words and mm. so we kind of like kept making it up well and I think there's a danger
1: now it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing uh, when you have something like Logo for example and uh, I was just talking to H. Allen Scott this great comedian uh, who has a podcast called Alan I, where they just talk about the Golden Girls and I love it uh, but anyway so he was saying that when you look at something like Logo where finally we have representation well some of us have representation um, and he was he was telling me that like when he looks at logo, he sees there's one type of gay man, and maybe they have a black friend. Uh, and it's true because there are all what I love about being queer no rules you can be any kind of queer you want to be Yeah. Uh, and I don't always see that reflected in mainstream queer
0: that's exactly right Yeah. and I think that what I appreciate so much about your podcast is that people say people that and I disagree with this they say that the only thing that holds the LGBTQ community as like binding is the fact that there are same sex relationships Mm. or like gender and the sexuality and those are just like check marks and that's it but I I think that your podcast speaks to like this interconnectedness. And yeah I, it goes, I, I support that, you know? We also, I, you know, of course we,
1: you know, the thing that um, identifies us to ourselves often as queer is that, is who we love, which is a beautiful thing. But also, queer people have magic powers. And I, I mean that figuratively, but only kind of, because we have this great gift of being outsiders. And that means we can do that thing, that Emperor's New Clothes thing, of like, well, I don't like the way mainstream is doing it and i don't have to do it that way yeah. which is a privileged position to be in we're in a we're in a gay bubble I'm, we're in la i live in seattle uh you know if you're in new york or someplace or even like austin or oklahoma city or you know wherever but you know it, there's a lot of people who are isolated and um they don't have that they don't have as many people telling them that they're beautiful and they have this gift and they have this secret power and so one reason i do this podcast is to tell them even if you're in the middle of nowhere you have you are you are a magical fairy being, and you can do incredible things. And you're part of this giant network of of, of magic fairies.
0: I love that, and I think that that is why people get so upset about the mainstreaming of g- drag culture. There's like, no, I'm the fairy here. Mm. Like, this has made me feel so special, and you have a thousand other things to feel special with. You know,
1: honestly, the mainstreaming of drag, like through Drag Race, for example, like, it doesn't scare me that much, because I think drag will always break... RuPaul talks about, like, the matrix, you know, the the rules that we follow. And so drag will always break that. No matter what you're doing, no matter how mainstream it is, uh, drag will always say, okay, we're gonna... What's what's a rule we can break? And I love it. It, it. Fundamentally... Uh, it will never lose its power.
0: And that's so great to hear. Go mainstream, please. Also, there's no way to stop the mainstreaming of it. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's gonna. There's no stop button.
1: And there will always be some creature drag coming up behind you <laughs> that is like, "What
0: is this?" Right. Yeah. We had Trixie Mattel in the show. Mm. And I'm obsessed with her makeup and her presentation. And she's so smart. Yeah. Oh, she's a genius. Yeah. Yeah, and she just doesn't want to be a normal drag queen because, as she said, there's no rules. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah.
1: Just do whatever you want to do. It's amazing. Yeah. I went to this incredible drag show. It takes a lot. I've been to a lot of drag shows so it takes a lot for me to say i've never seen that before um but so i went to one about a year ago in seattle Uh, it was a ball so um the the format was people would walk down the runway and they'd be judged and uh there was this competition to see you know who who could uh win win the the category the the category was literally called but what is it (laughs) and so (laughs) that's amazing we saw some incredibly outlandish drag there's this brilliant drag queen in seattle named sparkle lee who came out like in this incredible stilt thing she looked like a, this cyborg fantasy creature and then there was another one whose name i've forgotten who her like the finale of her act was reaching down into her the folds of her costume and pulling out a squid an actual not living but a squid that she had bought at a fish market and just like and doing like concluding her dance with this dead squid I, and again i was like i have never seen that before and uh, you know it, it's not political and it's not you know going to change the world but it also is like uh, once again confrontational and questioning and like what is it
0: that's outrageous
1: <laughs> it was amazing i it's very rewarding when you can see and you know then again like i do see some like a lot of political stuff like for example you know Katie Perry sang that the alien song i saw someone perform that uh, and they had adapted it so that there was a fence down the middle of the stage and kate the the katie character, the drag queen, was singing to her Mexican boyfriend on the other side of the fence and suddenly that song means something completely different. Holy shit. Yes.
0: Yeah. Wow. Was that in Seattle as well?
1: That was at... um here in L.A. at, oh, what was the name? Oh, uh, the unfortunately named Tranny Shack, which is going to be uh, modifying its name, as I'm told, uh, to maybe T-Shack or something like that. But it's Heklina show where, uh, I mean, it's just the creme wow. de la creme of queens who are, who are confirmed. Oh, gosh. And like uh, Shaka Korn, another drag queen in Seattle, uh, did this incredible number uh, when, uh, it was right before the Olympics in Russia she was hearing about all the terrible things that are happening under Putin to gays in Russia. And so the number opens with a CNN report about what's going on. And then she performs, she lip syncs to a couple different songs where you see essentially a training montage. And the guy who performs Chaka Korn, Andrew Slade, is an enormous mountain of muscle. And so he's this giant muscular man. And uh, he... Get, he does the training thing like it's an 80s film flies to Russia and there's this beautiful bit where um, they're on the airplane and the way that they indicate we're on an airplane is everyone on stage is going just going like this and banking at the same time uh, and then he gets to Russia and uh, he rescues the queer people who are being assaulted uh, by by these thugs in, in, in Russia. And it is so triumphant and cathartic and wonderful, and the audience just explodes with bliss. You can find it online on, on YouTube. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wait,
0: was there an area at dragon for like this kind of
1: drag? You know, that's a good question. There were two panels, there are three panels about protest art. Uh, there's one by the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which is this amazing group that has existed for decades to, to better the community. Uh, there was another panel that Teen Vogue put on. Uh, Teen Vogue is just doing some of the most amazing political work of... Uh, Uh, Today. It's such an important magazine right now. Uh, And then there was another. Which is
0: outrageous that we are, you're saying that and I'm agreeing with it. Mm. Like a year ago, I would have been like, teen what? You know? That's the
1: thing. Like I had a real knowledge gap. I was ignorant about what Teen Vogue is. And they're doing some amazing work to empower women and elevate voices. And I'm like, incredible and they're not apologizing for doing the political work as well as like the summer boots so I'm like thank you so much well I mean it's it's as I'm not going to say it's as important because you can't compare these kinds of things but you know but we want it both sure sure you can have it you can have it you can have it all uh, so, yeah, anyway, so there was not a ton of political stuff. What there was at DragCon this year uh, was a lot of family stuff, a lot of stuff for kids, wow. which was really moving to me. Like, there was a kids' area, there was a story time with drag queens, there was a bouncy castle, there were toys. Uh, yeah, and it was a
0: very welcome environment for families, Wow. Yeah. Did, did you? We are some of the like straight people who appreciate drag as they're allowed to. Did, did, like, what kind of percentages did you see? A lot of straight people. That's an 50, interesting 50. question.
1: You know, um, I, personally, my own personal belief is that there's no such thing as straight people. That we all have a queer inside of us. Everyone has it, and uh, it's just a matter of who listens to that little voice and who doesn't. But um, I don't know. It's impossible to judge. But I will say. I saw a lot of fans, and it's... I mean, that seems lovely. I mean, just lines for hours of people waiting to get an autograph or whatever, and a lot of women, and I think that's lovely, because there is a temptation to say, I've heard many times, that drag... In comparison to blackface, that it's it's woman face essentially. Um, and I think that's a tempting but specious claim to make. Uh, I did a video about this on YouTube, maybe like three years ago, because uh, there's was this... Um, I think it was in Ireland... There was a, a Pride had banned drag saying that it was misogynist. And I get it. I see what I see the argument of like this is making fun of women. I see why it might feel like that's what's going on. But let's peel back the layers here and compare it like so blackface fundamentally is a lie about people of color. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is a claim that this is what they are like and they are not. And there are disempowered voices. You know, no no black person is going to have uh, be in a position of authority in the creation of blackface. Um, Drag is not a state. Nobody looks at drag and says, oh yeah, they're really making a statement about women here. This is what they're trying to say about women. There may be some terribly misogynist drag out there. I don't doubt that there is. Um, But by and large, I I would say that's a vanishing minority. Uh, And drag is, it's a celebration of feminine power and energy. Absolutely. And it's making fun of societal expectations Mm -hmm. that this is what you need to look like. The reason I think there are a lot of women at DragCon. Is One of my friends suggested, well, I guess, particularly young women, there's a lot of tween girls at, at, at events like this. And he was like, well, maybe they and drag queens are both learning what it is to be a woman. You know, if you're 12, you're learning what it is to be a woman. If you're a drag queen, you're learning. And I don't think that's it. I think that these are two groups that have realized that societal expectations for womanhood are absurd. And they're saying... Well, we're not we're not going to go along with that. I mean, that's why I think Teen Vogue is so vital. That this is a magazine that's saying, you know, uh, these expectations of you're not going to make as much money, and you're going to be domestic, and you know, you're going to raise kids, and you shouldn't negotiate for a raise. Uh, those are that's ridiculous. Don't wear uncomfortable shoes, you know, it's stuff like that. Dress how you want. And so um, I think increasingly young women and drag queens are saying femininity can be what we want it to be, not what someone you know,
0: over the decades past has decided it should be. And who can argue with that? Yeah. I can't. (laughs)
1: Uh, There will be people who want to argue. I mean, there are a lot of people who say men are this and women are this. And the fact that those people exist is what makes it so important for us to say, no, we're going to do it better.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's a larger larger percent of the population mm-hmm. than the, the reverse. Yeah, unfortunately.
1: Well, you know, this uh, election has been dispiriting, but it's also been, you know, a, 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 you know, holding up a mirror to ourselves to say, okay, we don't don't get too comfortable because we got some things to fix here.
0: I agree completely. Had Hillary won. We would still be as like racist and sexist as before. So yeah. now we get to, like you said, hold the mirror up and deal with it.
1: I will say I watched the beginning of Samantha Bee's not the Correspondence Dinner, yeah. um, and it opens no spoilers, but it opens with an imagining of what it would be like if Hillary had won, and I nearly cried. Like it, it was, it's it's a joke and it's like thirty seconds, and you know just seeing her up there at the podium, I you know. Ah, I, I, I went to pieces. She's doing amazing
0: work right now, Samantha mm. B.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, talk about like elevating voices. I mean, she has so many people of color and so many young people and so many women on the on the show. Yeah. Uh, it's a real play and queer people on the show. Uh, it's a delight, and and that's one of the things. Like, you know, I'm a cis white man, and so there are times it it, it, it it it's become very evident to me, particularly following the election, that there are important times for me to either shut up and listen, or to say, hey, somebody's talking, and they may not have the mouthpiece that me as a cis white man with a podcast and an audience has so signal boost to this person uh, I, and that's an important thing for us to do.
0: I think about that a lot, and it's it was a really slow like realization to know that I grew up in the South, mm. I was Jewish, I was queer, I had all these things against me, and when I'm working in a LGBT organization in LA and it's all white gay men, I need like to listen a little bit more and give like the voice to somebody else. Yeah,
1: who am I not hearing from? And yeah, why? What
0: what blind spot do I have? It sounds simple, but it can be like a mind fuck to be yeah. completely honest. To like remind yourselves of that, so. Uh, yeah, I think it's amazing. <laughs> One of my friends, I was, I was talking
1: about how like at DragCon, uh, there were a couple points where I just like walked into a room that I, I'm not sure I was supposed to be in, uh, for, like talent rooms or whatever. And nobody challenged me. And I was like, you know, I was sa- saying to a friend who was black that, um, I-, I wonder if that, you know, was I not challenged because I look like I was supposed to be there because I'm a white guy. And he's like, it is impossible for him to even conceive of that. He's like, imagine if somebody was telling you, oh, I can reach things on high shelves and I wonder if that's just because I'm tall. You know, it, it's, it, it, for me to have the, that experience is, I mean, it's great for me to acknowledge, but um, there are a lot of people who just can't even imagine that.
0: Yeah, it's it's just, it's just fascinating seeing you, one's privilege um, increase and decrease in the circles that you mm. are a part of throughout yep. life and just being aware of that.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, there are, very seldom do I find myself in places where I don't feel privileged. I I, I can't. I can't think of a situation. Like, and it would be easy for me. Like, I could go to, oh, no, actually, I can't think of a situation. I sometimes will do these long road trips. So I drove to Chicago and back a few months ago. And uh, driving through, like, eastern Washington, very rural, very conservative. It's kind of like the Central Valley in California. uh, And there are a lot of Trump signs up because it was before the election. Yeah. And it was just a little reminder that, like, you may not be as safe everywhere in the world
0: as you assume you are at all times. Yeah. So just remember. I mean, I hate going back home to the South and thinking mm. about the tightness of pants I pack. Yeah. To be completely honest. <laughs> right. Or very tight pants. And there I bring my baggier stuff. Mm. And then I'm also, conversely, if some I'm not like clocked as being queer, it also makes me feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I that's not something that I even think about or experience here. But yeah, it's fascinating.
1: I just did an interview with uh, Stephen Arimus, who's a Broadway music guy. And uh, he was talking about how for a long time in his life, uh, you know... One of the privileges of being uh, a gay man is that, you know, it's easy to decide when you're going to kind of tone it down a little. And, you know, you can pass as straight if yeah. you need, if you want to for some reason. Um, and so he would do that in his life. And then he came to this point where he wasn't doing it anymore. He went back home and he had this wonderful moment where he walked into the mall and he said, even even though I'm not like broadcasting it, even though I'm not like, you know, wearing hot pants or whatever. Um, he's like, I know it now. And I have no compunction about telling people and it feels so fabulous to be doing that. I feel so powerful just to be like, you know, to know that I can turn it back up anytime I want.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's code switching, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, can we talk about your fight for marriage equality mm-hmm. for a second? I did not realize how involved you were with that. Yeah. Yeah. You worked for the uh, the Federation? Uh, Amer-
1: yeah, the American Foundation for Equal Rights. Yes.
0: And you were there in the Supreme Court. Yep. I, I I have questions, but I want to ask an innocuous one first. Okay. There are forbidden pictures on the Supreme Court. What was it like inside? Oh, yeah, of course. Like, as
1: soon as I went into the Supreme Court, I had a camera in my hands. And I, like, I, I mean, the simplest thing. Like, there was a bust of some, like, Supreme Court justice. And I raised my camera up. And someone, like, shout-whispers to me across the rotunda, no pictures. And so, okay. Uh, but I there's, mean, like, two pictures on record that have, like,
0: ever been taken inside yeah. secretly. It's it's a palace.
1: Um, when, the, when the Supreme Court was built, uh, there was, a, like, the, the justices felt... Self conscious about it, they're like, "Oh my god!" Somebody I can't remember who some justice said, like sarcastically, "Maybe we should like arrive at the court on on the backs of elephants or something," uh, because it just looks like this incredible like temple of Karnak or something,
0: like like white marble,
1: marble and like gilded stuff, and I mean it's like you are in the Sistine Chapel or something. I mean it's just enormous and cavernous and echoing and, and grand, and the, like everything has these flourishes and things. And so I was there to for the argument in the Supreme in the in the Prop Eight case. Um, and uh, I mean, the chambers, we went into the chambers and we sat in the back very quietly and, uh, you know, red drapes everywhere and these giant, you know, I, I, the, the justices sit at this um, sort of counter thing in front of them and they're like elevated up on this platform and like everything about it says it's sort of secularly religious. You're about to you're about to be transported into um, another frame of mind, essentially.
0: It feels almost un-American. In terms of American traditions, I would agree with that. Yeah, there's something about it that
1: um, when you th- think of someone like pulling themselves up by the bootstraps" and you know the I don't know American Gothic or something like that, uh, it feels very much like um, I don't know, like going into a palace in Europe or you know some great Roman temple or something. I mean, that's definitely what they're going for when they when they design and build the thing. That's wild. Uh, that you know because the you know the ideas that we derive our democratic institutions from. Uh, from those things going back through history. And it's only now that we've reached a point where someone has figured out essentially how to hack the game and uh, um, break democracy, kind of. Ho-hum.
0: Oh, well, yeah. Maybe we can release a patch. Yeah, it's a longer discussion. (laughs) You've written about how your partner... How long have you been together?
1: Um, Well, so it's Wiggly. So my partner James and I were friends, and then at some point we realized... Oh, we're, we're really good friends. We're really, really good friends. Um, up around
0: 17 years? Jesus. Yeah. Okay, yeah. don't tell people that. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, okay, so 17 years. You're, you're, so you're fighting for marriage equality during the day, mm-hmm. and at night you're going home to this guy who does not care about marriage or want to be married. Was there tension there? Oh, you could say that there was. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, so I was a, a, an activist for marriage. I got started <clears throat>
1: doing video uh, videos for YouTube about why marriage equality matters during the Prop 8 campaign. And they're still online um, you know just interviews with people like why do you want to get married or why don't you want Prop 8 to pass which was the California's marriage ban in 2008 um, and then uh, I just started doing more and more and more because I just cared so much like I could see how important this was to people and I had some assumptions of my own that I was carrying around of you know when you love somebody you marry them that's just what you do so okay um, and then I started working for the American Foundation for Equal Rights working on marriage all the while not married to my own partner of at that point still many years uh, and I really – it took me a long time to understand it from his perspective because it wasn't something he wanted. And so I was in crisis like, is there something wrong with our relationship? And it took a lot of conversation for him to come to see my side and for me to he- see his side. Um, you know, for him, he was just – the the big thing for me was the ritual. Um, and I compare it to um, – when you look up at the night sky, someplace rural, and you see all these stars, and suddenly you feel like you're this t- like insignificant thing surrounded by the grandeur and the majesty of the universe. You know, you have like a Carl Sagan moment, you know, out in the field. Um, that is a feeling that is larger than you can articulate. You know, you, you have these transcendent experiences, like religious experiences, or just, you know, your, the enormity of your love for another person. You cannot put that feeling into words. So what you do is you join an institution. You join something pre-verbal, like marriage, that makes you feel like, you know, you're, you're part of the cosmos, or you're part of thousands of years of recorded history of people getting married and, and forming relationships of ma- many different kinds. Yeah, it's like tangible proof, too, to your friends. Sure, sure. To to demonstrate, like, I, I can't even express to you the depth of my feeling for this person. Um, but we had a marriage, and so hopefully that makes it clear. Ideally, that's what a marriage is. It can also be for money, or it can be for a lot of reasons. Yeah. It can be to um, claim ownership of a woman. Uh, see,
0: when you say we had a marriage, you were talking metaphorically. You guys metaphorically, did not, yeah. correct? So okay.
1: yeah, we're still not married. Um, and so it took me a long time to come around to his position, which uh, essentially was that what we have is working very well. And uh, at some point, the legal stuff, we will probably need, yes. Um but also it was important for him for the relationship to be something that we were in of our own volition and for us to essentially for it to be as easy as it could be for us to get out of it. Uh, so that every day you wake up knowing I'm in this and I love this and I want this and I want this to keep going and I'm not in it because it would be really hard to get a lawyer to draw up some contracts. That's very romantic. It weirdly not being married, not, not being married feels very romantic to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, I saw a speech by Angela Davis, uh, about how, um, it is possible to recognize the moral imperative of legal equality, which I believe in. Like we, there, It is vital that we have the opportunity to say, no, I don't want this, rather than, no, I can't have this. While also being radically critical of the institution itself, because marriage has been a lot of horrible things for a long time. Yeah. It's racist, and it's misogynist, and uh, it's hurt a lot of people, Uh so let's let's make it better and one way we can make it better is by bringing the gays in you know we
0: (laughs) We, make a lot of things better we do neighborhoods cakes Um, we've also allowed straight people to be more flexible in terms of the rules of their marriages Mm -hmm. and I think that's very fortunate for them yeah yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, and, I, you know, and I, I
1: don't want to be like, you're welcome, straight people. But also, you know, uh, um, something that happened in the 1970s. So uh, we're post-Stonewall. So Stonewall happened in 1980, uh, 1969. And, um all of a sudden queer people are like, oh, I can be, you know, we didn't call ourselves queer at that time, but I can be out, and I can be whatever I want, and I can can make noise, and I don't have to try to conform. And there was sort of this laboratory in the 70s of figuring out what that means and what that looks like. And there were a lot of experiments with relationships. Like, you know, essentially... A lot of people were having sex with a lot of other people and, um, trying out communes and, and open relationships and polyamory and all this stuff. Um, and then, uh, eighties happened and the epidemic hit and, uh, suddenly it became very clear why it was important to have monogamy or abstinence or, you know, whatever it takes to, to prevent the spread, uh, before the, before the the drugs were, were invented and legal rights for medical care. Oh, of course. Yeah. And all the legal stuff. Um, and it feels now that we're just coming back around to that 70s-era experimentation with um, alternate forms of relationships. Because, we, you know, we have this myth, uh, monogamy myth that uh, when you find the one, there's the one out there for you, the right one. You can make a wrong one and a right one, and there's no, there's no ambiguity. Uh, and then there, that's the only one you're ever going to sleep with, and the only one you're ever going to kiss, and the only one you're ever going to have a crush on for the rest of your life. Well, that is ludicrous. Uh, Maybe for some people, but that's just not how we've been selected as a species. So uh, let's be realistic about things and not perpetuate this myth that monogamy is what we're
0: made for. I agree. And I think that that is kind of like the next revolution, right? Like be it polyamory or open relationships. I think that these labels come with stigmas and like historical pain. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is why I'm looking for like a new word that people are more comfortable with but it's a new word for like polyamory mm-hmm. cuz that the it's word it's a scary word yeah it's it sounds radical yep yeah, right right and and people also want cool words describe themselves that they're mm. okay with right that's something that I found on the podcast a lot uh. that's why I think that like gender fluid and mm. sexually fluid mm. are really sexy terms instead of b- bisexual mm. you know yeah yeah isn't that interesting yeah no there's the, it sounds so clinical bisexual or
1: homosexual sounds yeah. like you know like doctor's office uh, but the fluidity in there is a little sexier
0: and there's no expectations mm-hmm. it, there's no if I'm like a lesbian woman it's like ah she's having a phase. but if I'm sexually fluid it's like mm. oh she's sexually fluid
1: yeah and I'm I mean that's what i mean when i say
0: that we're all queer that yeah. we can
1: we can all we all have different uh impulses and desires and it changes throughout our life and uh Enjoy it. Have a good time, Yeah, for
0: goodness sake. Also, when you say or write about my partner does not want to be married, I initially imagine somebody holding you at arm's length, Mm. but you write about beautiful acts of love that he gives you, like simple and grand.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's really beautiful. So I wrote this book, Defining Marriage, and I have a podcast by the same name, Defining Marriage, where we talk about what's happening with marriage equality week to week, because there's still stuff happening in the U.S. with marriage equality every week. National Organization for Marriage just announced that they're going to do a march on Washington in June, so good luck with that, you guys. Uh, anyway, so I wrote this book, Defining Marriage, where I basically went through the um, the history of marriage equality by telling stories of people who were there for it in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And then also my story, where I was during the, those times when I, you know, came came of age and realized, oh, you know, I, I, want, I want to be married too. Uh, and so, you know, I talk about James's... Uh, Some of the sweet things that, you know, like stuff like small things, like leaving notes for me or stuff like that. Literally to this day, it's been 17 years, and before I left for this trip to come to L.A., um, he drew a little rabbit on my back so that I just have some little thing on my skin to remind me of him. That's really sweet. You know, like little sweet things like that. And then also, you know, he – I really feel like he fights for me. Like I feel like he uh, is – You know, I look at him and he would be super creeped out to know this, but um, sometimes while he's sleeping, I will look at him uh, and just think about how lucky I am that, uh, you know, I, I feel like he's my biggest fan and I'm his biggest fan. And I'm like, how did we get so like, what did we do to deserve this relationship? This is amazing. Like everything he does, I love. He's a big fan of everything that I do. And I'm like, this is great. I get to see my best friend every day. That's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Being and, queer is so great. And 17 years is clearly working. Something's worked out. Either that or we're stuck with each other for, you know, he's, he's got blackmail on me or something. But um, <laughs> No, it, yeah. Like, to this day, like, I, I look at him. Like, I've been gone all of five, five days from Seattle. And I just feel so honeymoon about it because I'm like, oh, I miss you. I miss you. I'm like, 17 years. Come on. Calm down. You'll see him, like, tomorrow. So, But still, I'm like, oh, I miss James. That's so nice,
0: and it's and it's also like you have these feelings like i I imagine it's like, do I need this like thing called marriage? you know, and it's how and also how am I to say that's not a marriage?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've got a relationship that I like a lot more you know, when I think of marriage and I think of like you know, um the institution that made it legal for husbands to beat their wives. I don't want that. You know, or, or the thing where, like, men could own women as slaves. I don't want that. Or, you know, all these terrible things. Or, you know, just n- not, not necessarily something misogynist. Or the thing that, that
0: slaves weren't allowed to enter into. In, in ancient Greece, you wrote that people just said, do you want to be married? Great. And it was done. Mm -hmm. There's no ceremony, right? I mean, that's what it was. I mean, much more recently, that's what it
1: was in America for, you know, in the the colonial times. If you wanted to be married, you are just married.
0: It's amazing how much marriage has changed from conception, and yet we are now like, and we want to stop the evolution. Oh yeah, traditional marriage. There's no such thing. Like, the church has only been involved in marriage for a couple hundred
1: years. Uh, Like, it used to be, like, the church would, there there are religious figures in, like, the Middle Ages who are like, oh, marriage, no, that's bad. Religion should not be involved. Yeah. So, what do you mean traditional marriage? Come on. I mean, there were, like, in Mesopotamia, if you want to go way back, there were, like, laws about, um, you know, if you don't like your wife, how to get a refund. I mean, what? No. That's that's a tradition we can do without.
0: Like my poultry back?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you go up to the customer service desk, and you're like, hey, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 we can do better than that.
0: Yeah. I found it so fascinating in your book that the the liberals were like, oh, we don't want marriage, and the conservatives were like oh like we don't want you guys getting married and like I was like who wants marriage mm-hmm. it was like a it seems like a select like
1: fighter group I'll tell you who wanted marriage is in the 1980s when people were losing their homes and they couldn't visit their partners in hospitals and you know they're losing their life savings or whatever there's this beautiful movie um, uh, if these walls could talk uh, about this lesbian couple who you know, it, it, you know tragedy strikes and um Who's I want to say it's it's is it Jeremy Piven? No, it's not. It's somebody else. Uh, but anyway, so uh, and there's the family comes in and is like, oh well, we're the family, and so we get the house. And the partner is like, uh, but we lived here for like decades, and I loved her. And nope, sorry. So that's who fought for marriage, and that's why we fought for marriage. That's why it seemed for a long time like the only ones who wanted marriage were gay people, while straight people were you know getting divorced in record numbers and whatever. Like we were fighting for it because we saw what could happen if you don't have those legal rights and having the, and you know, beyond that, just the stigma of being told you're not good enough for this, that does real harm. That does, I mean, real psychological damage to people to say you're unworthy or there's something wrong with your relationship. So now having the choice, great. And, and I like every day, I'm glad that I have the choice to say, not now, not right now, maybe
0: later. I love that. I have to let you go. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. The book you mentioned, Defining Marriage. Yep. Also, so, tell us about your, um, your web shows on YouTube.
1: Yeah, so my book is Defining Marriage, and my podcast is also Defining Marriage. You can get it at definingmarriage.com. Uh, I've got The Sewers of Paris, my other podcast, where we've got personal stories from gay men about the entertainment that changed their life. Uh, and then uh, on YouTube, I have a weekly show called Weekly Debrief, where I talk about what's happening with LGBT issues around the world and also what you can do to make a difference on those issues, because, like you said, it can be easy to feel powerless. But you're never powerless. There's always stuff you can do. So Weekly Debrief on YouTube. Uh, and my username's just Matt Baum, uh, my name. You can find Sures of Paris at Sears of Paris on Twitter and you can find Fantastic. me at Matt Baum. And it's
0: Matt Baum on all. Oh, it's Baum? I'm so sorry. It's I mispronounced so it. It's it. fine. Oh, this is embarrassing. Should we do the whole thing over again? Just kidding. <laughs> <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> thank you for doing this. Oh my god, thank it. you so much for having of me. Of course. And I'm on social media at Jeff Masters One. You can also find all of our other interviews on iTunes or YouTube. Mm. We will see you next week. Goodbye.